0: Hello you, and welcome to Change Your Relationship with Food, the podcast hosted by me, Kyla Holly. With many years' experience as an eating disorder and bariatric therapist, I know exactly what it takes to help you break free from your diet history and develop a more healthy relationship with food. Please follow this podcast to make sure you don't miss a thing. We have had our first request, and that request is to talk about sweeteners in food. I'm probably automatically going to start calling them artificial sweeteners as I talk because what I mean by that is things that are artificially sweeter than sugar. I don't necessarily mean they're artificially produced because people always shout the word stevia at me at this stage. And really. Stevia has a similar effect to a lot of other sweeteners. So, regardless of how they're produced, we're talking about things that are artificially oversweet, and they really are oversweet. They these products can be between two hundred and twenty thousand times sweeter than sugar which are huge numbers. When you think about it, and we'll, we'll get on to sort of the food industry a little bit later, you know, you need a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of this product to create maximum sweetness. And then you can promote the fact that it contains no sugar. They are very, very popular with the food industry. There's a few reasons why I personally don't like these sweeteners. The first reason I don't like these is I think they're unhelpful for our mindset. I have lots of clients who come to me who are having, you know, 10 cans of diet soda a day with the idea that they're filling their stomach out, they're curbing their hunger pangs And they're doing it for the price of absolutely zero calories or minimum calories. And to them, it seems like a win-win. It really does kind of skew our relationship with food because it makes us feel that, that that's an okay thing to do. That filling our body with these often chemical sweeteners, which have a whole host of other effects, which I'm going to go into very shortly is okay. And I would argue that it's, it's not okay. And that if we went back to basics and we started to actually address our nutritional needs rather than chase weight loss, we might actually see that these aren't really a helpful part of our diet. The other category that we have to touch on is microbiome and I'll probably at some point do another podcast on microbiome because it's much more important to talk about in some depth. Our microbiome is a delicate balance of bacteria in our gut and it has a big effect on our overall health. Some of the bacteria down there is associated with positive health outcomes and some with poor health outcomes. And that gut bacteria can shift over time and is heavily influenced by our food choices. We have some old knowledge and some new knowledge in this area. So for many years, we believed that the digestive enzymes in our digestive system can't break down these sweeteners so that they would actually pass through your body completely unchanged and it wouldn't have any effect on our body. However, the new knowledge tells us that these Uh, chemicals and these artificial sweeteners can actually interact with our gut microbiome and make profound changes down there. And that affects a whole host of other aspects of our overall health as well. The experiments so far have mainly been on mice and rats. And there's a lot of sort of contention, I suppose, within the scientific community to basically say, well, will that translate to a human model? The people that were making all this noise and asking, will it translate? I guess are the the people that produce these products. Gut microbiome is something which, as I say, we might examine later in another podcast. Another interesting point, University of Sydney did a study in July 2016, which I do quote quite often when I talk about these sweeteners, because it explored a whole new avenue of research. And that was that the way that the brain responds when we consume something sweet. Apparently the brain has this wonderful system of limiting the amount of sweet foods we take on board. And what it does is it equates the taste of sweetness and the extremity of that taste, and it kind of links it in with the energy content of that food. And if both are high, if we're chasing, you know, if we've got high sweetness coming on board and high calorie load, high energy load, the body will naturally limit the amount of that substance that we can consume. I always give the same example here, and that is, if I gave you a jar of honey and a spoon, and I said to you, eat as much of that honey as you can you would find very, very quickly you simply couldn't eat very much. It would be overwhelming. It would be very, very sweet. It would be a high calorie load. The body would sense that and it would put the brakes on. It would make sure that you couldn't eat a jar of honey, for instance. You would manage maybe two or three teaspoons, maybe four if you were really pushing it. And then I think you would reach the point where you just said, I can't do this anymore. And that is the body limiting the amount of of sugar rush, if you like, of sugar that we get on board all at once. And it's actually to protect our brain because our brain is the single biggest consumer of our glucose energy. So we don't want our brain overdosed with this big glucose hit, so our body limits the amount that we can get on board at any one time. Now, this is a beautiful system. It works well if we are putting products in our body that are true to form, they're what they say they are. However, if we are consuming a product that tastes very, very sweet, but has a very low energy intake, the brain recalibrates those factors. So in other words, imagine we're having the the 10 cans of diet soda a day. The brain senses, here's a very sweet taste that's come on board. And then it looks for, okay, what's the energy content of this product? And it quickly finds, actually, there really isn't any energy content to that product. So what the brain will do is say, okay, this very, very sweet taste is actually okay. I don't need to limit it because there's no energy content. Imagine we are having 10 cans of soda a day. What the net result of that will be is that the brain becomes very accustomed to this very, very sweet taste. And it becomes very accustomed to not putting the brakes on. So when we do have something that contains a big amount of energy and is also very sweet, the brain won't automatically put the brakes on. So in other words, the people that have lots of diet products also find it very difficult to stop eating when they encounter things that are naturally sweet or things that contain sugar. Big diet food consumption often is coupled with big sugar consumption for that reason. And it takes just five days for this change to happen in our brain. What they've found in experiments at the University of Sydney is that people that have a lot of artificially sweetened products actually consume 30% more calories overall than somebody who does not. It gives us something to think about, doesn't it? The next area to look at is blood sugar. And studies are mixed in this area because different sweeteners respond differently. Things like sucralose, for instance, caused a 20% higher insulin response um, and it's triggered by receptors in the mouth. And also they found with that one that insulin cleared more slowly. So there's limited proof around blood sugars of what affects our blood sugar and how it affects our blood sugar. But even so, the idea that our body tastes something sweet, so receptors in our mouth taste something sweet and send that signal to the body to say, right, sugar's coming, produce insulin, is something that can really, really affect our whole system and in the long term make us insulin resistant because we're producing a lot of insulin to deal with the supposed sugar that's coming on board and then we get an overload of insulin in our system. What that does then is actually lower our blood sugar overall and we go into a little bit of a a hypo because our body is low in blood glucose and then that sends us straight to sugar again because we are seeking sugar by this time. So the conclusion, I've introduced a few things to think about here. It's worth considering where the emphasis comes on to support these products. The worldwide production of sweeteners is actually worth 20.6 billion dollars and 15% of the food produced in the U.S. actually contains these sweeteners and as I said before when you think about it a very tiny amount of this product is needed to create a huge huge sweet taste so it's very economical for food producers. Often the studies that support the fact that these products are completely harmless are sponsored by companies that make the sweeteners. So they're much 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 more likely to find them safe and effective for weight loss and safe and effective for our bodies and they're much more likely to support the idea that there's absolutely no side effects and they're not in any way detrimental to our health. Well, of course they are, because these studies are paid for by those very companies that make them. Almost half, so this is like 42% of the scientific reviews out there of artificial sweetness studies, actually had authors that did not disclose those conflicts of interest. Quite often when you're looking at a study where there's no disclosures on it, you really don't know whether that study has actually been sponsored by manufacturers. About one third of studies failed to reveal their funding sources altogether. So this is such a sort of pseudo-scientific area where the research is cherry-picked to support whatever the manufacturers actually want you to know and you've got to think most people don't even go that far most people just look at the packet and they say wow i can have all of this food for hardly any calories that's going to really support my weight loss and the fact is it doesn't and often i've had clients in the past where I've encouraged them to cut the artificial sweeteners out of their diet altogether, and it has triggered some weight loss in them. So relying on these products is really, it feels very, very counterintuitive to me. I would be really interested, though, to know what you think about this, because as I said earlier, it is a contentious area. There is lots of differences of opinions. What you've heard today is simply my opinion, Your opinion could be very different and there could be lots of people out there that are carrying stethoscopes around their necks to prove that they're a doctor and they are telling you that these are absolutely fine, that, that there's no problem to your health. But have a think about it because that's what we're here for, just to plant little seeds of information and make you think about it. It's worth noting as well that if you look at graphs to say how much we as a society have gained weight since about the 80s, they actually coincide very, very nicely with not only the increase in artificial sweeteners, but also the increase in sugar consumption. So have a look into that as well. I know that correlation is not causation, but if you have a look at these figures across a broad area and you bring in things like diabetes figures and sugar consumption and sugar marketing and artificial sweeteners and overall weight gain, you will find they do suspiciously all correlate together. So there you go. Have a think about that. Contact us for other things that you might want to talk about, other things that you might want me to talk about, and join in the conversation because I'm really, really interested in what you guys have to say about this. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to you hearing me next time. You can send your show ideas, questions or suggestions to info at akfeb.com.